Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. It says canceling the NHL season is too easy a solution. He spoke to a virtual town hall on Tuesday that was set up by the San Jose Sharks for his business partners. Bettman said, I believe that if the right time comes and the right circumstances, we'll get this season done. Bettman says states are reopening, cities are reopening, and if we do the right things, I think we'll be able to finish the season. So that is the latest from the NHL commissioner. We know that the league is trying to do everything it can to finish the season, whether that happens later in the summer or even into the fall, but they want to give out the Stanley cup and uh, we'll see what happens over the next few weeks. Obviously Edmonton has been much discussed as a candidate to be a host city. If the NHL does use just a few sites to finish the season, Vancouver BC has been pushing strong with rinks in Vancouver and Victoria as perhaps a host site as well. So there's another NHL story to keep an eye on. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Inside Sports on Eskimos and Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. My name is Reed Wilkins. Always a pleasure to bring you the show. The final part of our interview with Todd McFarlane tonight, coming up between 7.30 and 8, had an extended discussion with him Monday afternoon. You've uh, already heard stories from him about purchasing his shares in the Oilers, selling his shares in the Oilers, about his baseball career in college and how that uh, eventually turned into him further pursuing being a comic book artist when his baseball career wasn't going to bring him in the pros, but he said now even in his late 50s, he'd still like to get him that bad in Major League Baseball. Speaking of baseball, that'll be a bit of the focus tonight because he does own some of those famous home run baseballs, spent a lot of money on a few of them, and he's actually going to be featured in an ESPN 30 for 30 next month about that home run chase between McGuire and Sosa back in 1998. And I, uh, the final question I asked him was basically, how did you do it? How did you go from drawing comic books to being this entertainment mogul, basically? And he'll explain the passion that he has and his drive for success. So that'll be fun to talk to Todd later on tonight. I want to welcome back to the show a member of the Edmonton Eskimos offensive lineman, Sir Vincent Rogers. Sir Vincent, you're on with Reed. How are you doing, sir? Hey, how you guys doing, man? Appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, well, thanks for coming on. A few things I want to talk to you about, and obviously you and a lot of your players reacted to something that was said yesterday. But uh, first of all, just let everybody know where you are, how you're doing through all this. Oh, I'm in Houston, Texas uh, with my family, man, just trying to um, social distance, man, and and get through these weird times. There's so many uncertainties and so many different things Um and so, so many people affected by what's going on right now. I'm just kind of trying to take this time to soak it up with my kids, man. And, uh, you know, the time that I don't normally get with them all together. Just trying to make the most of that time and uh, socially distance and stay safe. Well, as an offensive lineman, you're usually trying to keep people socially distanced from your, uh, your quarterback. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So, 
so, sort of along those lines, I guess. Hey, uh, look, and I know you were injured uh, almost a year ago, so I, I want to get an update on that and, and how you're doing training and all that kind of stuff. But uh, a liberal member, uh, li- liberal member of parliament from uh, the city of London, Ontario, Peter Fragascados, was quoted as saying he would find it alarming if emergency relief funds from the federal government were used to pay American CFL players living in the United States. A a lot of your uh, teammates and uh, fellow players from around the league have reacted to this, especially on social media, including Mike Riley, who said, uh, I've been paying Canadian taxes for a decade now. My daughters have Canadian birth certificates and that he gives back to Canadian communities. You know, you've chimed in as well. I'll let you put it into your own words here, Sir Vincent. Uh, Your reaction to uh, Mr. Fragascato's comments. Uh, when I first uh, when I first saw it uh, online on Twitter, I was just kind of taken aback by it. Um, it just seemed it came off as um, I'm looking for the right term. You know, I don't want to be I, I don't seek to be offensive or you know I'm not trying to uh, attack him per se, but it just came off insensitive um, and like he was misinformed. You know on the role of the American player in the CFL. Um, I don't claim to have all the answers or know everything um, or anything like that, so I'm not trying to come off in that, in that way at all. But it just seemed really insensitive. I know he's a really intelligent guy, him being a politician and being where he is. I know that there's a fair amount of work that he's had to put in and things he's had to endure to get to, get to where he is. And it's no different from the American player who's playing in the Canadian Football League. But I do think he's um, likely misinformed or he was insensitive or ignoring um, certain truths in the midst of it all. And so the first thing that was alarming to me was, you know, how can there if, if there are benefits available for our league, how could we be excluded? We pay Canadian taxes just like the Canadian citizens. And in some cases, some guys pay a lot more than, you know, some Canadian citizens. Um, it's not like we, we've come to the CFL and asked for a handout. If each, each American player that's active in the Canadian Football League has come and had to earn his keep, there are certain hurdles and things that we have to jump and certain things that we have to do to even, you know, earn our keep in the CFL. It's not it's not a simple process. You know, we have a rate, we have ratio rules, you know, and we have to adapt to a different game than what we're used to uh, from playing down south. So um, we don't come to the CFL, you know, looking for anybody to hand us anything. Most of us come to the CFL hungry, looking to contribute, looking to play football. We just love ball. And I think we've created um, a really good and special environment in the CFL with the Canadian players and the American players and the global players there's the environment of inclusiveness where an inclusion where, you know, we all come together and play a game for a living, but we're all putting, you know, into it. We're all investing into it. And so to exclude, you know, anyone from anything that the CFL um, is given or, you know, whatever the case is, I thought that was insensitive for him to say that, or he was misinformed on, you know, the fact that guys do pay Canadian taxes and we are um, in, in a lot of the surrounding cities and provinces giving back and, you know, appealing to the youth and just trying to do things in the, in the community as well as, you know, performing on the field. And, um, we also live there at least half of the year where we're, you know, likely renting 
and paying into, you know, paying into, you know, the Canadian community and everything with our with our earnings as well. So for, to hear something like that, it was just kind of alarming in that way. So just to, I mean, you kind of explained it, but even if you list your off-season home as Houston or, you know, Mike lives in Seattle or, or whatever, it doesn't matter. Everything you make in Canada your your home state or home uh, or your home state in the United States never gets any of this money through taxes. It's all Canadian. We we pay we pay Canadians the taxes, and I, I personally, you know, some guys work here in the states in the off season. I personally do not. Um, early in my career, I, you know, did work and do things in the off season. Um, but I personally don't work in the off season, and so my income personally comes from my job with um, as a football player in the Canadian Football League. So I pay taxes there, uh, there, and I also have a requirement here with my wife working here. And with us paying taxes together, you know, I am paying taxes in both places. I, I certainly pay taxes on my salary and what I make in Canada, and also um, we have to. It's adjusted what we have to pay as far as our taxes here um, to the U.S. as well. So, you know, it, it, I I just didn't I didn't understand why we would be excluded in a situation like that. We're a league. We're united. We're all together. Why would there be any exclusion of if you, if the league is in need of help? Why would you exclude a certain aspect of the league? I just thought that was kind of discriminatory in that way. Sir Vincent Rogers joining us tonight on Inside Sports, offensive lineman for your Edmonton Eskimos. Sir Vincent, I got to ask you this question, and th- this comes up a lot, and I'm sure you've heard it. And I had Ryan King on the show on Friday, who is a teammate of yours, and uh, on, uh, with the uh, the CFL Players Association as well as uh, as one of the reps. And there's a lot going on in the world right now, and you are going to get the reaction of some people who say, "Why are we worried about athletes and team owners?" in a time like this, how, how would you respond to that? Oh, absolutely. I understand that. I understand that there are a lot of people, you know, that have, have different circumstances as a result of this pandemic. And I would never minimize what someone else is going through. Um, you know, but, but these are our personal issues as well. Outside of football and off of the field, we're regular men, just like everybody else. We, you know, have issues in our personal life, just like everybody else, we pay bills. We, Our life approach is no different than any other person that's going through anything. So we're affected financially as well. The CFL is not a league that generates, you know, hundreds of millions or, you know, billions of dollars like a league like the NFL, like the, in that way. And we are appreciative of the salaries that we, we make. We're not minimizing that. But I don't think, you know, anyone struggling in, in this pandemic could look at us in any kind of way as if we're not, you know, affected as well. We're affected uh, just as much. If we're not working, we're not making money either. So we're affected financially just like the next person. And, and of course, there are a lot more people out there that are in a worse position than us, but I assure you that there are younger guys in our league that are, like, hurt, that are hurting right now financially, that we're looking forward to these tra- to training camps and getting on the field as a form of income. A lot of guys are not veteran players that are proven in the league that receive off-season bonuses or, you know, whatever it may be to keep them afloat in the off-season. 
a lot of guys are literally playing football because they love the game, not because it's financially, you know, prosperous for them to do so. And so I think a lot of people don't understand that and know that. And a lot of people look at us as if we're not regular human beings like everybody else. I know we do a lot of heroic things on a football field in the midst of the game, but we are affected, you know, as well. This is affecting us, our families. We have finances and financials that we have to maintain. We have bills. We have obligations to our family, just like the next person. And so I would just, you know, challenge anyone that's viewing it that way to like, you know, take a step a step back from viewing us as just football players that get on the field and strap on helmets and also view us in the light as regular human being that, you know, not only pay, pays bills there during during the season, we come home in the off season as well in the state and pay bills and have to make ends meet and have to provide financially and and things like that. So that's I, I wouldn't minimize anybody else's struggle, but I certainly, you know, challenge them to look at us in the same light. We're you know we're out here trying to provide and, and, and trying to make it like everybody else. Sir Vincent, thanks for that. I got to ask you how uh, things are going for you. Otherwise, uh, it was about 50 weeks ago you suffered a torn left tricep in training camp with the Eskimos, a, a tough injury for you. Obviously, you were one of the Eskimos' big off-season free agent signings from last February. Tell, tell me a little bit about trying to recover that injury. Obviously, you, you wound up not even get, getting to play at all, so that's a pretty, a pretty tough year for you overall, I would think. Yeah, I was excited about getting to Edmonton. Um, had just played in the Grey Cup at Edmonton a year before with Ottawa. Had just lost um, in the Grey Cup. Was league all-star that year in 18. And so we were looking forward to contributing and being on the field in Edmonton. In the third day of camp, I tore my, training set, tra- my, tore my tricep, which was just one of those freak things. It wasn't, you know, it's not anything you can look at on film and say, oh, there it was, you know, it, it was just one of those freakish things that happened. And uh, I rehabbed really hard and pushed to try to get back at the end of the year and was unable to do so. The process is a six-month recovery, but uh, that's just recovery. You also have to build strength and, like, you know, get get the strength back before you can go back to battling guys in the trenches, as I'm accustomed to doing. And so when the playoffs came, you know, I was healthy, uh, but not healthy enough to be playing football. I was getting there, but I wasn't completely healthy enough to actually get out of battle. And I likely would be injured if I had rushed back. But at this current moment, I'm 100% healthy. I went through the offseason with no restrictions. I have been training, lifting, um with no restrictions and, and ready to get on the field. They, if I got a call tomorrow saying that the season was going to begin, I'd be 100% healthy and ready to get on the field and, and do what I've been accustomed to doing in the league. Um, and I'm, I'm really anxious to do that as well. Are you, because one of the, the options that is discussed is a 10-game season, an 8-game season. Are, are you fine with that if it's a shortened season as long as you guys can get something in, have playoffs on the Grey Cup? I mean, assume like a 4-game season wouldn't be enough, but if you're looking at 8 or 10, would you be comfortable with that? For me, I, you know, I want to play football. I'm a football player. This is my profession. This is my work. This is what, you know, I do. So I, I want to play football. If there's a safe environment, where we can make it safe for the fans, we can make it safe for the players, 
to compete and have our great game to entertain people and just kind of get people away from all of the, the tragedies and everything associated with this pandemic, I'm all for playing. If it's a shortened season, I'm all for it. You know, those are things that have to be worked out and have to be sorted out, you know, with the the the, the guys who whose pay grades are much higher than mine have to sort those issues out. But as far as playing, I'm ready to play as soon as there's a safe environment to do so. All right. Well, Servi, really appreciate you checking in. Uh, you're always well-spoken whenever we talk, and thanks for sharing your thoughts and being very honest. I know Eskimos fans are happy to hear from you and hoping to see you on the field sometime here in 2020. Hope you and your family are doing well. All the best there in Houston. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate you guys having me. Uh, really love Edmonton, the city, and the fans, and I just hope everybody stands safe and doing well. And anybody that's affected by this pandemic, I would just urge and challenge everybody to to keep their heads up. Um, I just believe that there are brighter days ahead and that we'll all get through this together. And I can't wait to see everybody and get on the field and compete and have fun and get back to our great game that we all love. That is Sir Vincent Rogers, offensive lineman for the Edmonton Eskimos. Got some. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply reaction on the text line that I want to get to in a couple minutes. You can chime in 780-496-0063. That is also the number to call. This is Inside Sports on 630 Chet. Cowtown Bob writing in. He says, Sir V should be our prime minister. I appreciate that he speaks from the heart. I think Sir Vincent Rogers is happy being an OL, not the PM, an offensive lineman. But he was very well-spoken, very passionate. Another texter says, your guest makes a very valuable point. A lot of people, unfortunately, do stereotype players as rich people who don't need a break. But the truth is, like he said, a lot of these players are making less than what some people who are working a regular job make. Look at Ricky Ray when he first started out. So as your guest said, we do need to think about this people and how this pandemic has affected them because they are people just like the rest of us. A couple of texts to 780-496-0063. Yeah, this is a really interesting story with the Canadian Football League. There are, I mean, I think three franchises in particular that we worry about the most. That being... British Columbia in Vancouver, Montreal, and, and Toronto, where the, the, the CFL is perhaps not as uh, high up on the sports marquee as it is in some of the other cities, especially on the prairies. I, I mean, Edmonton, Saskatchewan, and Winnipeg, they've released uh, some numbers for, the, for the, you know, their 2018 numbers. All those teams made money. The Eskimos made over $2 million in, in 2018. So what is the CFL going to do? Now, there's also the point that some of the owners of these teams are quite wealthy. And if they need to float the team of a few million dollars for a year, 
um, aren't they able to do that? I mean, Sean Fitzgerald was on last week from the athletic and he said, you know, the, the Argos are owned by MLSE who you know own the Maple Leafs. So they make a bit of money. So are they able to keep the uh, Argos, you know, going for a year without getting money from the federal government, which is, which is another way to look at it. I, I, I get the sense, and I don't want to speak for everybody, but just from the, from the text line and some other interactions I've had that if the CFL, um, would have just asked for the 30 million, maybe people would have been more comfortable with that, but they've said up to $150 million. And Ambrosi has said that extra 120 would be over the next two years. And he said, that's if all the worst case scenarios happen. So there you go. Yakishev says, if you're Canadian, apply to the Canadian government for aid. If you're American, apply to the American government for aid. It's as simple as that. That's a fair point, Yakishev. But I, I think if the if Ambrosi says, you know, we're going to honor players' contracts this year and give them all or most of their money, then I, I think that would cover all players, regardless of uh, where they're from. The Big L says, Reed, I'm texting you from my hammock in the south wing of my spacious Grand Manor north of Edmonton. Just want to say, how can any North American sports league resume with all the shenanigans going on south of the border? Can't see it happening. Well, that's going to be a challenge for sure. Uh, and Paul says, dumb, if my taxes pay for a foreigner not working here while taking a job away from a Canadian. That is from Paul, 780-496-0063. All right, good to have you tuning in tonight. In a couple of minutes, we'll get to the third and final part of my interview with Todd McFarland, which was an absolute blast to catch up with him. Kellen Kennedy is back at the 630 Chet Broadcasting Compound. Kellen, how are things at the old shop? We are doing good. We're keeping this boat afloat. Have you been taking care of my Star Wars? What are, the, are those Funkos I have on my desk? Is that Funko what Pop, yes. That's what they're called. I have uh, someone gave them to me. I have Kylo Ren. Mm-hmm. I have Chewbacca. Mm-hmm. And I have BB-8. Yes. So they're, they're kind of like bobbleheads, but they're not exactly bobbleheads. Is that, am I thinking of the right thing? Yeah, uh, it's kind of sort of. It's the latest craze in collecting right now. So or they're maybe, like kind of miniature maybe they just action start bobbleheads. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> no, they're kind of like big head uh, action figures would be the best way to kind of explain yeah, it. Yeah, but th- their heads do bobble a little bit. Oh, do they? I think. Yeah. Oh, okay. No, I think they're Funkos. Permission to take uh, Kylo Ren after the no, show and shake it about? No, alone. <laughs> now I'm going to ask people to photograph them so I know you're not taking them. Yes, they're Funko Pops. <laughs> I, I found them online. That's kind of the new craze. Is that like as big as – are they as big as Cabbage Patch Kits? I think so. Like they're, <laughs> the, they're the craze for us now. Did you did you have a Cabbage Patch Kid when you were a child? I did not. I think that craze kind of predates me a little bit. I was born in 85, so I think I was born right in the, in the heart of it. So, so this afternoon I, I got back to my house after going on a bit of a run, and there was a couple of kids uh, about a halfway down the block on the other side of the street, and I heard one all of a sudden, I don't know how old they were, between 8 and 10 maybe, and one of them was holding up a cell phone and suddenly exclaimed, it's Pikachu. Not about me, by the way. <laughs> Not the guy was Pikachu. Is that that, what is it, hunting Pokemon game? Pokemon Go. 
Pokemon Go. So yep. that's where you hold up your phone and you see these virtual little creatures in, on the screen of your phone. And then yep. what? You you capture them, you injure them, you collect them. <laughs> what do you do? You don't. Like, is it a them. violent? Is it a violent game? No, like it but, is a hunting game, basically. Yeah, you can have them fight each other. You can fi- have them fight at uh, various geographical points and that stuff. But basically, you just walk around and capture Pokemon. That's the whole deal of it. So, and then what happens when you capture them? They, so it's all, it's all virtual. Do you get points? Do you get money? Do you get un- unlock prizes? What happens? You can unlock uh, different items to help you catch more. You can uh, trade them with your friends. You can go after different objectives. Uh, okay, so if I if I had this Pokemon Go on my phone, could I could there be a, a Pokemon right next to me where I'm sitting right now in my spare bedroom? Yes. But, okay, so could other people capture it virtually through the walls of my home? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think that would be just unique to you that it would be. Wow, this is fascinating. Mm-hmm. Maybe I should try it just to see how it goes. I think it's been around a few years now. There are quite a Pokemon few of us Go. that play it here around the station. I know that. Do you play it? I, I, I play it. I'm not as hardcore into it as some people, but uh, I play it. Uh, a former colleague of ours that works over on the TV side now, Morgan Black, actually has flown to Japan for different uh, Pokemon Go uh, conventions and different things that they have over there. Apparently, it's. I like thought she went to Japan on a vacation. Oh, that was part of the vacation. Oh, okay. I, I, did, I did not know that. All right. Well, that's it. Now, is Pikachu the most famous member of the Pokemon universe? I would say so. That's probably their Mickey Mouse, I would, if you want to equate it as such. Jeremy from Glendon writing in, and Jeremy, of course, in self-isolation in his luxury apartment inside the pierogi in Glendon. Hey, Reed, Pokemon Go is like Frogger. There's no finish line. It just gets you hooked. Oh, okay. Exactly. Well, there we go. I've, uh, I have learned a little bit today. Not a lot. My continual quest for learning and enlightenment. And now Paul texted in before, and Paul said that uh, if my taxes pay for a foreigner not working here while taking a job away for a Canadian, so he doesn't think American players, I'm assuming, Paul, you don't think American CFL players should get aid if the federal government does give money to the CFL. And as Sir Vincent Rogers argued, he has been paying taxes in Canada and paying into EI and all that kind of stuff. So uh, he's saying, why wouldn't I get some of that money back? That's his, his counter argument to that. Not everybody's going to like it. If, if a sports league uh, gets money from the Canadian government, CFL is in a different situation, I, I think, than some of the other leagues. Uh, I think Randy Ambrosi is, is going to be pushed here by the federal politicians making this decision. Certainly the players are going to have to come forward and speak as well. And the league and the players association will be working more closely together now, as Ryan King told us on last Friday. So one of the stories we keep following through the pandemic, part three of our interview with Todd McFarlane, comic book mogul and all the action figures and all that kind of stuff. And of course, a former member of the Edmonton investors group. And uh, I was talking to him about owning some famous home run baseballs. And he's actually going to be featured in an ESPN 30 for 30 on the 98 home run chase. Years ago, as we all know, some of us sports geeks, there was this great year where Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire uh, decided to go on this torrent uh, pace to try and break uh, Roger Maris's home run record of 61 then you know, with the ghost of Babe Ruth sort of hanging around. Uh, and, and they both did it. And 
McGuire ended up with 70 because he had five home runs in the last three days off the Montreal Expos, much to our chagrin, uh, and ended up with 70. So he didn't even end up in the 60s. He ended up in the 70s. That ball ended up going up for auction. Uh, I bought that ball at auction for way too much money. And, uh, and then as part of that auction and a couple other things, I ended up picking up the, the 66 ball, which was the, the amount that Sosa hit. A few years later, uh, Barry Bonds uh, hit 73. And so I was in another auction and ended up buying that ball. So I owned the top three home run marks, 73, 70, and 66. And yeah, ESPN does these. I, I think it's a brilliant series. They're 30 and 30. They're pretty in-depth. So uh, I don't know if it's mostly about after the race or about the race. And there's only a little side note, but they came out to the office and wanted to just chit-chat on like how I got involved in buying that ball and, and, and why. And the reason was to sort of put a bow on it was that I had been trying to break into sports toys and I had started a toy company because of the success of Spawn the comic book. Couldn't make a deal with any of the big toy companies, so I started my own toy company. But again, there's a, you know, a couple of truisms that your mom's always tell you, you know, and one of them is stick to what you know. I know sports. And I, I wanted to do sports figures. I just I, I, I didn't think the sports figures out in the marketplace were very good, the starting lineup figures. And I just artistically thought they could be cooler. Uh, but every time I went and knocked on the door, they wouldn't even answer because they were like, Todd, you're just a little boy. You're a nobody to us. So I needed to grab their attention and buying the Mark McGuire ball was the, was the headline I needed because they made an assumption because I spent a lot of money on it that I, that I must be successful. It wasn't true. Uh, that I must have a lot of money. It wasn't. I borrowed every penny that I needed to get to that amount. And, but it got me in the door. And in quick order, I was doing the NHL, NBA, Major League Baseball, and the NFL toys. And I did those for 10, 15, 20 years and made my ante back, which was buying the ball, like 10 times over. So sometimes people scratch their head as to why you do things. But because I'm not a public company, I can, I can move different uh, being private. And, and this was one of those moves that if I had spent the same amount of money on a Super Bowl ad or on some other advertising, nobody would have batted an eye. But because I bought a ball, everybody thought I was crazy. But, but like I said, it was when you're playing poker with, with big boys, you, 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 you got to have the ante to get to the table. And, and to me, I thought this was my way in and it worked and it worked. So- do you still have a lot of sports memorabilia, any of the baseballs, or have you moved on from that a bit? Yeah, no, you know, I've got the baseballs. Sure, shoot, I got all the baseballs. And, yeah. and, and again, I get that, you know, some people come and they're going, oh, it's been tainted and the steroids and there's an asterisk. And, you know, and, and I have an answer, get over yourself, right? Because here's what I know. <laughs> here's what I know as a sports guy. You can, you can hate and dislike it all you want. You can, what are you talking about? I, I despise the Yankees. They still got 27 championships in spite of me, right? So you can hate those stats all you want, but go to the record book, turn to the page that says most home runs in the season, and you're going to see it says 73, 70, 66. They will never change that number. So you can be angry for the rest of your life. It's not going to change those numbers. And oh, by the way, the longer we get away from those numbers, the more we're going to look like grumpy old men, 
right? So I'm sure Ty Cobb, when he was a kid and playing baseball, I'm sure he was actually a nasty guy, right? But now, 100 years later, Ty Cobb, he's like a bad, he's like a bad dude to, to the young kids, right? Barry Bonds, 100 years from now, is going to be the same guy. You're just jealous because he had 73 home runs, Grandpa. Come on, man. So he's cool, man. Like, we're, we're, we're too close sometimes to talk about things when they happen right out of the gate. So, uh, but I, I got the top three home run balls. Nobody else does. So show, then show me your ball of somebody hit 48 home runs, right? Show me how impressive that is. So I, I don't know. I, I learned in business, you never walk into a door with the second best of anything. So Okay. Well, that's a, that's a great statement. I'm going to just throw one more at you. It's not even really a question. I'm just going to kind of say something and see what your reaction will be. I mean, people who draw comics, like they're not supposed to go on to do what you did and be. Especially if you're Canadian. (laughs) Yes. And and you're Canadian. Like comic book artists are supposed to be drawing on the, uh, lying on their apartment floors, drawing comics and eating noodles for supper. And and you've transcended and done so much from, from an industry that often doesn't produce your type of, of story. Yeah, I, you know what? I may, I may have given a bit of a black eye to that nice Canadian thing that a lot, a lot of people like to have down here. I, I think, I think I am that Canadian to a point, right? And so, and I don't know why. Look, at, I, I, I probably came out of the womb this way, right? Uh, that, that here's here's my attitude because I'm competitive. I play sports, whatever. I've never looked for a fight in my entire life ever, ever. Right. So I don't go out of my way to pick a fight. I don't go out of my way to, to, to sort of belittle people. I don't go out of my way to push people around or to try to do something illegal in the, in the business setting or whatever else. But if you want to fight and you want to push me, I will not back down for one minute. I, I, I'm, I, I'm a little man probably in a, in, in a goon's body, right? Uh, mindset. Uh, I, I, I should be a lot bigger, but I have no fear of the fight. So you tell me business-wise I can't do something, the hair, the hair starts to go up on the back of my neck. And, and it's like, oh, yeah? Well, I'm going to try it then. Mm-hmm. And what's the worst that happens? I fail, and you were right. But what if, but what if, what if I don't fail? What if I don't? Then, then not only were you wrong, which is great satisfaction for me, but I create an example of other people being able to do it. So now it's like, come on, come on. Even some little dumb Canadian kid living in Calgary named Todd, if, if, if you get a little bit of dumb luck, a little bit of perseverance, and you've got some skills to go with it, and you mix all that together, and you just become fearless, like you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised what kind of opportunities come along, right? Because there's a lot more people that are way more skilled than I am, way, way more skilled, thousands and thousands, but, but they're not relentless. Like I am like a dog in a bone. And so why? I don't know. Uh, you know, like I said, I, 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 I was like that since I was five. So I probably came out of the womb that way, but it served me well. Half the battle of winning is basically just doing it. Remember Wayne Gretzky and everybody else said, you can't score if you don't put a shot on the net. Who cares how, severe the angle looks like and, it, and there's three defensemen standing in front of you one of them's your own and you're like who knows right but every now and then you just got to shoot and every now and then 
the miracle shot comes and it deflects off two people and it goes through the five hole and all of a sudden it works. And then when it works, they call you a genius, even though you know it was a complete fluke shot. And all of a sudden, once they sort of give you more cred, because they thought that shot was, was skill, then they give you, they offer you more opportunities and you just do more. And then you end up succeeding at those. And pretty soon what was at the beginning was you just faking it. It now becomes a reality that your, that your resume like starts to get filled with things all the way to, I've been, I've had a pretty good career now for 30 years, but we just did this Kickstarter and it set a record. So I get to add one more thing to it. Like I didn't know, I thought it was going to do okay. Ends up setting a record for the most backers and the most money for action figure ever. I'm like, cool, add that, add that. There's two more things. Cause here's why, here's why you want a strong resume. Here's why I need a strong resume because I want to be successful. I don't care because I, 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 I want money and I want celebrity. I don't care because when I walk into a room and I ask other business people to invest in what I'm about to do, you can't walk in with failure on your resume. You can't. So I need the success so that I can keep doing art. And if they keep seeing success and keep letting me do art, I, that's my victory every day. That's how I win. I go, oh my gosh, all I got to do is just put a few bucks in their pocket and they're going to let me do it. Or better than that, I'll just start my own companies because they put enough money in my pocket and I get to do it my own way, even better. I don't even have to ask for their money anymore. I get to just do it, right? It's a good day. I got a good life. I got to tell you. And I don't even skate. I'm not even, I'm not even a hockey player and it's a good, year, good, good life for this Canadian. That is Todd McFarland. What a pleasure to speak to him. A lot of energy, a lot of confidence, and he kind of gave you the the driving force of of his success and his passion for what he does, everything he's done over the years. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he had a small stake in the Oilers, is very successful with comic books and all the action figures, the sports figures you've, you've seen over the years as well. So that was really cool to catch up with him. Quite a unique story. And, like, I, I mean that. That like drawing comic books for a living is usually not a path to being a multimillionaire like Todd McFarland, but uh, he had the drive and the wherewithal to accomplish it. That was that was really cool to talk to him. Um, there there was more to that interview. I mean, we cut it into three parts, so we had quite a bit. There was even more. Uh, what I'll I'll probably do this tomorrow morning. I'll tweet out a link to some additional stuff that I'll post online. It's more about the comic book world, which was as a huge interest to me as well, but about his days at Marvel and drawing Spider-Man and helping create Venom and all that kind of stuff, maybe didn't fit as, as totally as a longer interview on Inside Sports as, as some of the more sports-focused stuff, but very interesting uh, in terms of how he was successful with that and then started his own company. And, uh, you know, and, and especially if you like comic books and some of those characters like me, I, I think you'll you'll really enjoy it. So we'll look for that online tomorrow. It is 7.51. got to take a quick timeout. It's Inside Sports on Chet. American Hockey League season was canceled on Monday. Gary Bettman telling 
people through a virtual town hall put on by the San Jose Sharks yesterday that uh, he's pretty confident that they're going to finish the NHL season. He says canceling would be the easy way out for the NHL, but different circumstances for the American Hockey League. A couple of members of the Oilers farm team, the Bakersfield Condors, goaltender Stuart Skinner, forward Tyler Benson on a conference call earlier today. Now, Skinner went into the season likely to be the number two guy there behind Shane Sterrett, who got injured very early in the season. So Skinner wound up playing 41 games, and he was talking about his goals for next season. Yeah, I think that uh, with this pandemic, just how Tyler was saying earlier, um, you know, try to take this thing as the best way that you can. And, um, you know, my, my goals for this summer is, um, you know, getting the best shape that I can. Obviously, now that we might have a little bit more time uh, to get in the best shape that we can, I that's definitely one of my goals is to come back in the fittest possible uh, position that I can be in. And um, I think uh, kind of those are kind of my goals right now. Obviously, it's tough setting goals on the ice because, um, you know, you, you don't know when you're going to be back on the ice. Um, so I think right now my goal setting is just mentally and physically getting stronger and better and um, making sure that I'm as prepared as I can be. And, uh, you know, for the offseason to start or for the uh, season to start. Skinner in Red Deer during the pandemic. Tyler Benson is right here in Edmonton. He was the Condors' second-leading scorer. Played seven games with the Oilers, picked up his first point, an assist, and he's looking forward to the next time he gets on the ice. Yeah, for goals, I mean, uh, it's just kind of the same as every offseason you go into. I mean, um, every year you kind of learn something new about yourself. Um, for me, uh, it was kind of getting those NHL games. I, I learned the, the pace of play, uh, the conditioning you need to be able to play at that level. So right now I'm just doing the, doing the best I can to try and um, get as fit as I can so that the next time I do step on the ice that uh, I can try and impress and uh, just be better than I was the last time I stepped on the ice with them. All right, more with Benson and Skinner on 630chat.com, globalnews.ca. Thanks a lot for checking in tonight. Dave Campbell's the producer of Inside Sports. Kellen Kennedy is your studio producer. My name is Reed Wilkins. Always a pleasure to bring you the show. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.